Hello, welcome back to episode three of Caribbean Scholars Things. I'm your host, Kat Stevens. So, Caribbean Scholars Things is a podcast, it's a movement, it's an online line, it's a space for Caribbean heritage scholars and scholars in training, uh, grad students included, and especially come together and share um, information about their work, their scholarship, that impacts those in and out of the region. I am so glad you're here with us, and I just want to thank you for giving us a, a listen, giving us an ear for our third episode. So, as you know, we uh, put out a podcast once a month, so um, this is the first season of our podcast, and by the time you'll be hearing this episode, we'll be kicking off the holiday season. And I hope that you all have had a wonderful day of giving thanks if you partake in Thanksgiving, uh, or as a lot of other people recognize it, as a recognition of all of the horrendous atrocities that have happened to indigenous people in the United States and, of course, abroad. So whatever way you look at it, it's a great day to get together with friends or family, um, your loved ones, to eat and drink and be merry. And just have a good time. Personally, I look at it as a time to get my garlic pork, my oxtail, my curry, my roti, and everything that I can fit in my stomach. So I hope that you all are having a wonderful month. And December is almost here, so can't believe it. We are in the home stretch of the decade. So... This episode, I will be uh, talking about um, Caribbean Scholars, um, the read of the month from this Caribbean Scholar that I will share with you in a little bit, as well as another rousing game of what do you mean I'm not black? Things that this Caribbean gets tired of hearing. (laughs) So I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by the Caribbean Scholars Things online shop. It is a branching off of this podcast and online community. Get yourself some fresh gear and rep your island brilliance. I will have the link for the shop in the notes for the podcast. So you can just clickly click away to your heart's desire and get some swag. So, first things first. I want to start off with uh, my book of the month. As you know, I'm an educator and an education scholar in training. I am a second year PhD student in uh, the Northeast, and I just got back from a conference in Portland, Oregon, of all places, um, just maybe a week and a half ago or so. And I attended the ASH conference. It's the Association for the Study of Higher Education. Um, It's also one of the foundational conferences for my field. So one of the latest texts to be released um, just came out this fall of 2019. It is actually edited by Dr. Saran Stewart, and the book is called Decolonizing Qualitative Approaches for and by the Caribbean. I think it's pretty dope because I saw this book and I could not wait to buy it. And so what I did, like any other, you know, well-knowledgeable grad student, I went to my library, my school library, 
And I went to the librarian for the uh, for education, for the field of education. And so I put in a request for the book to be purchased by the library. And so they purchased it. And here we have it. So um, before I get into anything a little further, I want to share with you a little bit of a bio of the uh, editor from the book itself. So you can just know a little bit about Dr. Stewart, who I am have been uh, fortunate enough to meet at a conference last year, also at ASH last year as well. So Dr. Saran Stewart, PhD, is a senior lecturer of comparative higher education and deputy dean for the Faculty of Humanities and Education at the University of the West Indies Mona campus. She was selected as a 2018 African Diaspora Emerging Scholar by the Comparative and International Education Society. She's a Salzburg Global Fellow and recipient of the 2017 and 2018 Principals Award for the Most Outstanding Researcher and Best Research Publication from the UE, respectively. At the core of her research, Dr. Stewart's research examines issues in comparative education, decolonizing methodologies, post-colonial series, critical inclusive pedagogy, and access and equity issues in higher education. She is co-editor of the book, Race, Equity, and the Learning Environment, The Global Relevance of Critical and Inclusive Pedagogies in Higher Education. Her research has been published in the Journal of Diversity in Higher Education, Journal of Student Affairs, Postcolonial Directions in Education Journal, and the Journal of Negro Education, to name a few. She is also the coordinator for the Masters in Higher Educational Management and a master's in student personnel administration programs, as well as the chief editor of the Journal of Education and Development in the Caribbean. <laughs> so I just want to say that Dr. Stewart is a boss. Dr. Stewart is a brilliant, brilliant woman and doing amazing work. And she is truly transformative. Um, I just uh, hope to learn as much as I can just from her presence and the work that she's doing already and all of her major, major contributions to the field itself. And so here we have this dope, 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 you know, book. So as I said, um, the title of the book is Decolonizing Qualitative Approaches for and by the Caribbean. And I saw this and I just about died when I saw this image of this book, it's a striking image um, on the front of the book. And so I think that um, if you Google it, uh, if you search for it, the image itself will also be striking to you. So one of the things that I really enjoyed about this book is that, as you all know, I am a doctoral student. <laughs> and so for me, you know, right now I'm working on an individual project um, where I am data collecting. I'm in a data collection phase right now, and I am seeking uh, Caribbean students to interview. And so one of the things that I find, as you know, with interviewing folks, with um, coming up with your questions, with thinking about your positionality as a scholar, I often have to think about what folks will be comfortable sharing with me because of our uh, overlap in experiences, um, the perceived overlap in experiences, um, the real overlap in experiences. 
um, that may prove to be a comfort for some folks that I'm looking to to talk to and to learn from, um, to get folks to open up with me and share their experiences or thoughts, um, things that they have lived through connected to their race and ethnicity and their heritage. So I want to say that I took a qualitative research um, introductory course about um, two semesters ago now, uh, almost you know, a year and a half almost so. And one thing that I found that was really striking that I did not expect was for there to be some pushback from folks within the region to talk to me. And I did not expect that. I was really naive. And I picked up fairly quickly that it was not going to be as easy as I thought that folks in the region have every right to look at me from my position, coming from the United States R1 universities, um, coming from the other institutions that I've been at, coming from not going to school, tertiary school or secondary school in the region at all, and questioning, you know, why they should share their information with me, why they should talk to me, why they should open up to me. And not alone that my shared lineage and heritage and experiences that's not even enough to get someone to buy in to be trusting to want to talk to me as a researcher and there is a real historical truth um, basis for folks going into the region and pillaging information and pillaging people in communities and exotifying folks in a way that is really disgusting and so I naively assumed that I'd be someone that folks would want to talk to, but the gays, my gays, <laughs> quickly, um, I learned a lot just from that instance. And so this book stands out and I'll share with you more why in a minute. So as I'm sharing with you, um, you know, that's one of these first times in my academic life um, where I felt both an insider and an outsider all at the same time. And there was a real resistance against me um, in my uh, reaching out to folks in the region, reaching out to educators, reaching out to people doing work on the ground and not having a response from them, not having a welcoming response, not having a response um, where I really had to think deeply about why would I be so presumptuous as to assume that folks would just want to talk to me? And there's so much more to that that's involved. And so that was a real learning moment for me that um, for a, a place in the world, for a region, for small islands and countries where folks have come in and just gazed at folks from up top, you know, and made people feel a certain way and distrusting as well, then it is well within their right to look at me and say, hold up, we're not sure we want to talk to you. Why should we talk to you? What are you doing here? What buy-in do you have with the community? What have you done to in enfold yourself, to, to build yourself into the fold of the community? Have you been here? What have you been doing? Who are you connected to? And we know so many things about relationships in the Caribbean in particular and with Caribbean people are about relationship building. So when I think of something as intimate, as trusting, as 
close as sharing deep parts of yourself and things that you've experienced in the world with someone, you really have to gain their trust. But also, some of the things that we learn in grad school (laughs) do not really translate well to everyone in the world, especially those that are not in the process that we're in. And so imagine me coming and sending a very formal email and sending, um, you know, a very cut and paste sort of communication that is to the point of, I'm hoping to do this. This is who I am. I would love to talk to you. Um, there's other work that needs to happen alongside that. There's connecting with folks. There's having someone vouch for you on the other side, you know? So these were all things I didn't know, I didn't think of at all. And it was a real teachable moment for me and one that I'm happy um, happened to me in the first semester of my doctoral studies. So one thing that I would want to read from the foreword of the book um, here on page um, eight of the foreword. So it says, Decolonizing qualitative methods are rooted in those very memories of teaching the trees and deeply embedded in critical theory and grounded in social justice, resistance, change, and emancipatory research for and by the other. And Said. To this end, academic researchers do not often question their methodologies to gather data in the way they were taught and to whom they were taught. As innovators of new knowledge, They ask questions and probe where necessary to obtain data to support their studies, but have they ever questioned the whole notion of research and its origin? For Caribbean researchers, the issue of decolonizing research is even more sensitive as it comes with the various isms, and as such, research is heavily influenced by their past isms of colonialism, post-colonialism, and imperialism. Imperialism. To this end, there is a need to challenge the paradigm of Western research with indigenous methodologies so as to obtain a balanced perspective. I mean, snaps, snaps, yes. <laughs> you know, it also goes on to say that we contend that research as we know it is based on a Eurocentric worldview and has dominated the way in which academia conducts research. This is true. This is so true. This book volume is not trying to compete with the normative worldview, but to promote a semblance of inclusion of both indigenous methodologies and participants as a part of the research. I agree. I'm here for it. So this text is especially important. It means a lot to me, and I'm working my way through it. And I suggest you go give it a check out as well and, and make your way through it. I think it's pretty phenomenal as well thing that I'll say about this book is that it's uh, broken up, the contents are broken up into three parts. Part one is theorizing the field of decolonizing research in the Caribbean. It has three chapters, or yeah, three chapters. Then we have part two, moving from theory to practice. So praxis, application of decolonizing research in the Caribbean. It has four different chapters. And we have part three, Lessons learned and best practices for future research. So, and that's got three, um, three chapters as well. I, um, like I said, I'm reading this book. I'm working through it. It is a book that I will spend my own money to buy. Um, 
I think it's phenomenal. I think that um, young people should have it. I think that young scholars and their work should own it. Um, I think that it really is speaking to a lot of issues that we're coming up against in this push and pull, this tension of, um, for someone like myself, I consider myself um, someone that's training to be a qualitative researcher. And so when I think about, you know, Caribbean, when I think about the Caribbean, when I think about people, when I think about history, um, when I think about what has been done well and what has not been done, what harm has been done to the community, I also think about am I imparting that same harm in my interest to suit my needs of my questions and my points of view and what I need from folks to tell me so that they can confirm what I am already thinking. And so I really want to think about ways going forward that I myself can really do something different. Um, of course, you have to learn the way in order to then bend the rules of the way. So I think for me, it's going to be a balance of learning and um, putting into practice what are the tenets of, you know, a traditional normative um, research methods and tools and things of that nature, but also thinking about how can I include um, maybe like something like YPAR, like youth participatory action research, or how can I think about um, art? Um, how can I think about using art as part of my research? How can I think about storytelling, which is so central and crucial to the way that we talk to each other, to the way that stories are passed down and knowledge are passed down? Um, you know, that Caribbean people, we love to talk. <laughs> and there's history in that. There is knowledge and power in that. You know, I also think about Caribbean Twitter and I think about using digital spaces as a way to reach each other through globalism and path and beyond it. So I think that um, this is just a really amazing, um, it's an amazing text and this volume um, allows readers to think about things differently. And I think it challenges um, Western and hegemonic ideas about research. And I'm here for it. So again, it is called Decolonizing Qualitative Approaches for and by the Caribbean. And so <laughs> it is edited by Dr. Saran Stewart. And next up, we have our next segment. here we are and um, back again so um, we have another rousing game of what do you mean I'm not black things that this Caribbean gets tired of hearing so let me set this up for y'all um, in a case of you know Caribbean people are not black Guyanese people are not black Guyanese people are not Caribbean Blah de blah de blah de. Um, and in the case of me minding my black business, let me set this up for y'all. Get your Milo ready. Yes, I said get your Milo ready. So I was on a conference call, one that I'm on pretty regularly. Um, and it's a, it's a conference call that is not necessarily academic in nature. So it's not connected to my work per se. Um, but it is often filled with different folks from different fields, 
um, coming together around a specific issue, um, which we all have in common. And so this call happens pretty regularly. There's a consistent schedule, there's a regular host of it, and it's an awesome opportunity for um, folks that share this connecting factor to come together and talk about what's happening in their lives and such. So there's like 10 or 12 people on the call, right? Maybe a little less. Um, and so I'm one of the folks on the call and I'm listening, you know, my thing is muted, I'm listening, which is good etiquette when you're on a call for folks, mute yourself, right? And I <laughs> am listening to two or three people share a bit of a story. One person then asks another person who is sharing a part of her story. And she goes, so was the person that you were talking to black? You know, was the person you were talking to black? Was it a black person that you were referring to? And so the woman that then responded said, no, she wasn't black. She's Caribbean. <laughs> And I promptly unmuted myself and piped in and said, hey, wait, wait, can you repeat that? What, what, what did you mean to say that? What did you mean to say? Like, is that what you meant to say? Um, and then quickly another person said, no, 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 I wasn't asking if they were, if they were black or not. I was just asking, no, 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 I, I was asking something else. No, no, I wasn't asking that. And so there became this saying of a person saying, no, 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 that's not what I was asking in response to my question. And I said, well, I actually clearly heard you ask this person, are they black in reference to a part of the story that one person was telling? And then the person responded, no, they're Caribbean. So let me just, let me just ask you, fam, community, Caribbean scholars, how would you respond to this? How does one react? <laughs> how does this happen to you? You know, we're living in very unique times, and I must say, I am Afro-Caribbean. I am Black. I am Afro-Guyanese. All of these things are true. I feel like every episode, there's like an incident or something close to this occurring. So this is going to be a theme, apparently, right? So I have, um, my parents are Afro-Guyanese, Okay. I'm here. I also have Indo-Caribbean, Indo-Guyanese lineage as well, but I'm an Afro-Guyanese woman, okay? I'm a black woman. All of these things are true. All of these things are true at the same time. So, fam, has this ever happened to you? Um, I know prior I've talked about this conflation of race and ethnicity, but have you ever had a moment where someone has questioned your blackness um, in opposition to your Caribbean-ness? I'm just curious. Let me know. So I have a few things I just want to say. I just want to ask, you know. Um, no, no, no. I wasn't talking to you. I wasn't, I wasn't sure. That's not what I meant. Blah, blah, blah. Those are things that I was hearing, right? And so I'm thinking, hmm. Number one, I do not perform my accents. It is not a performance piece. It is not something I can turn on and off with a switch. Number two. Okay, number three, if your dependency on hearing an accent from me then gives you legitimacy to think that I am now a legitimate Korean person, I'm a legitimate Korean person, I'm a legitimate Guyanese person, then I do not know what to tell you. It also erases that accent challenges are real. 
And those that have it, have it. Those that kind of have it, kind of have it. Those that have had it whitewashed out of them, also have had it whitewashed out of them. Let's call a thing a thing. Um, lots of folks traveling through the world from parents to grandparents to grandchildren, accents come and go. They're very fluid. They're stronger in some moments and they're weaker in other moments. Some people have accent anxiety. Accent anxiety is a real thing. You know, I myself have had experiences where people have said, oh, what kind of Guyanese accent is that? And I'm like, the one that I have that's mixed up, mixed up with many, many things from growing up in Brooklyn, New York to this spring when I went home for, you know, a good week or so. And I came back and I was like already talking a little different from like all the things I pick up along the way from my academic type speech. Like it's all one big melting pot, right? So I want to say that. And I want to say four, I can be me and not have to show you a damn thing. This is akin, in my opinion, to black folks being asked for their papers. It is not okay. I want to say five. I keep my accents for those that respect me. I also keep it for those that do not ask me to repeat myself. If we can understand such and such, if we can understand somebody from Russia, if we can understand somebody from Texas, if we can understand somebody from the Valley, guess what? I can be understood as well. So I say this to say, don't act dotish, okay? Act like you got some sense. Act like you got some broad upsy before you get checked. So that's just something that's on my spirit, okay? <laughs> and I say that, you know, sometimes, it, you know, I don't walk through the world angry. I don't walk through the world looking for people to say things that they shouldn't say. But I got to tell you, it's pretty old and it's pretty tiring, um, of a narrative to have your blackness questioned and erased because your blackness does not mirror or does not look like someone anticipates it to be. And so I want us, I implore us to move on. I implore the greater diaspora to move on, to allow for the fullness of the diaspora to be as it will be and appear as it appears in any particular moment in time. My accent is mine. That does not make me Guyanese. That is not the only thing that makes me Guyanese. And in my lived experience, having had my accent picked apart from so many different directions, it is something I hold close to me. It is something I hold dear to me. And I do not always share it with people immediately. Because it's not something I wish to put out there the minutes I start talking to folks, right? So you see me, I'm black. I'm a black woman. <laughs> so I just want to tell you, don't act dotish, man. Don't act dotish. Don't act foolish. So that concludes this podcast today. Please remember, you can get some swag for the Caribbean scholar or student in your life. The link will be in the show notes. I want you to follow us on Twitter as well. The links will also be in the show notes. The Twitter handle is C S. T, like Thomas, underscore digital, okay? And that's that. And so um, I just want to thank you so much for 
supporting us. Um, the community is growing on Twitter. The community is growing. Um, the listens are spiking up every week. I appreciate you. You are everything. So you are everything. The magic is happening on Twitter. The Twitter community is growing. I'm so proud to just put out a little bit of space for us to get together once a month and listen and sit down, eat some bread, drink some tea, <laughs> and listen to us talk about our work. And so next month, we have some other special things coming up. I um, had a little bit of... Um, a delay with one of the first scholars that I was looking to profile um, live and interview live for you. So stay tuned. That will still be coming. That will still be happening. But um, I think that I'm just as happy to bring you a little bit of a snippet of uh, this book edition, this volume by Dr. Solange Stewart. I also want to give a shout out to the Caribbean Podcast Directory um, and them giving us a shout out earlier in the months earlier this week, right? Um, they are doing amazing work. I'm seeing a lot of really awesome creative endeavors um, being shared digitally um, by folks in the community. And so it's bringing us together with whatever vantage point we have. And, you know, I think that there's a great renaissance of um, opportunities happening, folks making it for themselves, folks making it for other people, bringing other people into the fold, working together. And so, yeah, I, I just want to thank you for your support and share the podcast, send it to your friends. If you are a scholar in training, if you are a doctoral student in any field, if you are a researcher in any field, please definitely DM me, definitely um, find me on Twitter, send me a message. I would love to talk to you. I would love for us to connect. I'd love to profile you. And have an amazing week whenever you hear this. And walk good and stay strong and walk proud because we are that ish. So, all right, talk to y'all next month.